Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 5 of And The Writer Is with your host, Ross Golan. Before I give my spiel, I want to acknowledge the music army that listens to this podcast every week. Since starting this, the And The Writer Is community has literally changed the history of the music business by helping pass the Music Modernization Act, gotten songwriters added to Album of the Year for the Grammys, and still is advocating for positive changes for our industry on a daily basis. So thank you and congrats. Now, as you know, I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built for musicians by musicians, you can use Banzoogle's tools to easily design a website, an EPK, sell your music, merch directly to your fans, and it's commission-free. Banzoogle also recently added a crowdfunding feature, which lets you crowdfund your next project commission-free. So think about it. Your fans want to help fund your album. You don't need a record deal anymore. You can just use Banzoogle. So go to Banzoogle.com, try it free for 30 days. Be sure to use the promo code ATWI and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's ATWI at Banzoogle.com for 15% off of any subscription. Songwriters, think about your favorite hit song and what makes it an earworm. You could be the writer behind the next song that goes viral. Enter the 20th Annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitars and Strings and CMT. You could win several prizes, including the one-on-one mentoring session with L. King, myself, and fellow and the writer is producer Joe London. The lyric-only winner will score $2,000 cash and mentoring session with award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Send in your best songs now through October 31st at nsai.cmt.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's three-time Grammy Award-nominated artist and multi-platinum songwriter launched his career with a number one UK debut album and went on to win an aria, a Brit, an Ivor Novello, 
for that very same work. His most recent release has gained over 2 billion collective streams, and now he sells out shows all over the world, from Glastonbury to Saturday Night Live. His newest single, Peer Pressure, features our good friend, Julia Michaels, and he's famously an all-around good chap. All the way from the small town of Hitchin, England, this writer is the only guest we've ever had that my wife fancies more than me. And the writer is James Bay. <laughs> I feel like I need to sort of walk out into a sports field after yeah. that. That was into like a baseball stadium. That was amazing. <laughs> if people saw the size of this room after that yeah. kind of intro, yeah. they'd be so sad. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's like we're, we're doing this in the middle of Wembley, right? In the middle. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? In, in humble Wembley, we are, we are sat in a tent. So, that sound, exactly. so it sounds better. Yeah. We're in a tent on the right. field. Right in the middle of the pitch. Is that what it's called? There Was you go. Right? The pitch. You've nailed it. I'm killing it. All right. So uh, let's, start, uh, let's start in Hitchin. Let's start. Is that how Hitchin. you pronounce it? Yeah, Hitchin, yes, indeed. Okay. Um, how big is Hitchin? Where th- is Hitchin? Thirty thousand people. Uh huh. Um, and it's about an hour north outside of London. Okay. Um, and it's really, with all love and respect to it, it's it's very, uh, kind of mundane, safe. It was a really sort of safe, chill place to grow up as a kid. Um, I suppose the lucky thing for a kid growing up in Hitchin is, he, you know, I was closer to. London than a lot of the rest of the country. Like it's like a thirty-minute train ride, and you're in, yeah. you're like in the centre of London. And London's there's a lot of stuff going on there, obviously. So it was great. It was a very chill place to be. You have parents. I have parents. Uh, did they do music? No, but like lots and lots of parents, they are extremely passionate about music. And um, it was it was kind of straight down the line. Like on on the right side, my dad is was obsessed with rock and roll. You know everything that was kind of older rock and roll from Chuck Berry through the Stones uh, and Bruce Springsteen uh, kind of and beyond. And my mum was all about soul music and she loved Stax and Motown music and all those great artists. And um, so that music kind of resonated throughout the house a fair bit. And, and me and I have a brother as well. We got to uh, really soak that up and fall in love with it from a pretty young age. Is your brother a musician too? He is. My brother's a musician. He's only 18 months older than me. So he grew up very close and we were kind of obsessed with all the same things at, at all the same times. We were big into sports when we were kids and, and we were also always big into movies and music. And um, I think... When, you, when you're close like that, if you have any interest in something, you have this in, it kind of immediate support and interest from a second person. And something about that is fantastic, I've got to say, just in my experience. He, if, if I'm curious about music or playing guitar or performing, he, he was too and was doing his own version of it right next to me and we were you know, collaborating in one way or another from Were you competitive? very early age. I personally, yes, I'm, I'm very competitive. My brother, slightly less so, but, but then again, we're brothers, so that's a whole different competition that, compared to the competition you might feel with the rest of the world. So I think he kind of is. But, How so? I never had a brother. I had um, a sister. So we were competitive, but not really. <laughs> well, I don't know. We, we, just, we, we, we just were into all the same things and... Um, we were competitive, but we, if I'm honest with you, so that's where the competition comes from, the fact that we're into all the same things and you know, want to be better than each other at them. But as far as music goes, we always loved bands. We, we, loved, we loved Mick and Keith, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards being this like team. 
and 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 we were big into the Black Crows and the Robinson yeah. Brothers were this great team, this like famous musical team, and and Lennon and McCartney and all of that stuff. So, so did you guys write a lot together? We did, yeah. When we were, when we were younger, we wrote a lot together. Um, I played the guitar, and he didn't kind of bother with an instrument because he was always he naturally gravitated towards being the front man. He was obsessed with Mick Jagger and Rod Stewart and Chris Robinson and all those guys. Um, lots And lots of the soul, people like James Brown, lots of the soul performers as well. He loved all of that and gravitated towards being front and center. And because he didn't have an instrument, it's even you even think uh, as kids, you think about the way it lays out on a stage. Well, I'll be the guitar guy kind of at the side because there'll be like a bass person who's at the other side. And so Alex would go in the middle. And um, and sing the songs, and we, but we, I guess, I'd come up with the music, and we'd both kind of direct that, and he'd more more often come up with the lyrics. I came up with some lyrics, but why didn't, why aren't you in a band? Why aren't you in the Black Crows? Why oh, aren't you in your version of like that's well, that's a that's a great question because that I I did that I, I did that for for years with my brother and and other friends. What was that called? Oh, we had we were at one point we were the Jet Kings. Oh, nice. That was actually we were which is as lame as that sounds. It was named after our guitar players. Uh, Ibanez Jet King 2, uh, his his electric guitar. Um, so we just took that. Uh, we were Roadrunner. How old were you point. guys when, when you guys started doing that? We started doing all that when we were 14. Okay, I, I was yeah, about 14 when I played sure. my first show. And we'd been playing, me and my brother... Were you doing been, covers or originals? We were actually doing more originals than, than covers. How old were you when you started writing? Uh, probably the same age, 13, yeah. 14. I remember the first, one of the first songs that we wrote as a band. What is it? It was called It's Raining. How does it go? Well, it just was all about it's raining. Um, and that's a real shame because I wanted to go outside and play. It was genuinely like that childish. Yeah. But like, I don't know, that was what was... But now that, that was release, what gave us the blues. You if know? You, yeah, right. If you release that now, people have so many metaphors attached to it. You right, know, they'll right. be like, yeah, it is raining outside. And I do want to go outside and it's just too bad because it. it's it's depressing outside. That's it. I need to stay safe. That's it. You know? That's that's the message I, I maybe we were trying to convey, or maybe yeah. we were just trying to have anything to write about because Was it good? It was okay. We played it at school and everybody thought it was really good and they didn't think it was ours. So well, no, that, I mean that's a huge. That was a nice boost. sign, yeah. in, in, in a way. But um, we, well, I guess, why am I not in a band now? Because I was the one um, in in the bands that we were in and, and in our little town, who kind of my my attention span changed and, and moved forward, and moved on quicker than everybody else in the band. I we were one version of a band and then I, I was inspired by some other music so I wanted to change it up a bit and all the other guys in the band were kind of quite happy trying to just sound like the Rolling Stones or just sound like Kings of Leon and I'd want to move it on and move it on and then I, I the first thing I did that was still a band but that was me was I just called it the James Bay Trio and it was just me and a bass player and a drummer and it was it was a little bit more kind of musical and less about the songs and then I moved on again from that and I would constantly just sort of change it up and were these side projects to what do you call it, Roadrunner? No, no. You know, or like, were these considered side projects, or were you like, you know what, guys? I'm out and do the next thing. I'm out. Yeah, it was more that. It was more that. The the, the trio. Did you thing, get support for for that, or was there like, oh, yo, you can't leave. You're my brother. It was. It was. No, my brother was actually great about it, really, because it's strangely. Uh, I started to sort of move things on and then move into doing my own thing about five years after we'd started being a band. And it inspired him to do the same thing. Oh, cool. So he, so he found that quite exciting and we were able to do that. We were always, he and I were the creative force in whatever was going on. And, um, and when we kind of went in our little separate ways, we were both as inspired to do that thing. And then I went from even being in my little trio with a, with a different bass player and drummer to just going all the way down to 
just me and an acoustic guitar. What's funny is I started my kind of musical life with more people around me and it got smaller and less and smaller and less. And then it started again from me and acoustic guitar and then I, I, I finally left Hitchin and I wandered off into the world and just, just with acoustic guitar and started to do it like that. Do you miss being in a band or do you enjoy the vulnerability of being solo? I do enjoy the vulnerability of being solo. I And I, I get a little bit of the best of both worlds because I, I, I love playing and touring with a band behind me and we get to play really loud and really fast and it gets to feel a bit like... Kings of Leon or the Stones or whatever or, or, or Springsteen, it gets to feel a bit like that when I want it to and then when I want it to I, I, I get to kind of strip it all down sure. and, and go really kind of simple and, and do it like that. How old were you when you left your, you know, hitching? I was 19. So you graduated high school did you I go didn't. to... You I didn't? didn't? I, I, well, high, high school, yeah, I finished high school and then I went to a, a university you guys call it university college? Yeah. Right, I went and did that and I did about 18 months of that. And I was supposed to do three years, but I, yeah. And that was the British and Irish Modern Music Institute. I guess that's what they call it now. That it, uh-huh. it, it's gone through a few names. It was just the British Institute of Modern Music back then. I uh-huh. don't think they had the Irish part yet. Right. It was just, there was just the Brighton. So yeah, it was, well, no, back then it was the Brighton Institute of Modern Music. On so the it South was in Coast. Brighton? Yeah, yeah, it was just out. Have you been? <clears throat> I have. I went and it was, you know, it was really cold. It, yeah, I I'm, went, you know, it, you go on a beach town and I was pretty excited to go and it was covered in stones, <laughs> freezing. It was terrible. It was, it was it's the worst just, beach you've ever seen in your life. Right? It's, it's coming from California. Yeah. You know, I, I like New Jersey, but there are times of the year where if you went to Asbury Park and you're, you know, you walk or you walk on the boardwalk where you'd be miserable too. And like, this is freezing. Why I promise would you, anyone live I promise here? you there are three days in every year when Brighton Beach is phenomenal. Yeah. And that's it. Maybe yeah. two, like maybe three days every other year. I caught one of the 362 days. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, so sorry about that. <laughs> so you went there and you just, you were just said, this isn't for me. I'm going to get I out went, of here. I went there and, and I think at best, and I, I learned all sorts of things there. Like what? I, I learned a lot of like real life stuff. It, well, because it was like a, there was like classrooms and you, and you had like assignments and that was fine. But I was looking for um, a way into what I thought was the real kind of music industry and music world so looking back it was a great stepping stone it kind of taught me that you can spend as much time as you like in a place like that mm-hmm. but um the, you know the building that housed those classrooms was in the middle of a, a city that was full of bars and clubs and places to play um and the the college was not going to get me into those bars and clubs even though I was in the college in that city and all that I had to do that myself so it taught so being there taught me that it's fine to be there and 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 you know have that going on but whatever happens you have to make some stuff happen for yourself wherever you might be at and whoever you might have around you it's it's about your own kind of get up and go it's about um it's about using that so is somehow people don't realize how entrepreneurial being a musician is. Yeah. And when what you get this, there's a cliche that about musicians where they say songwriters are struggling musicians. And you're like, no, 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 all people are struggling. Absolutely. And if you tried to start any business at any age, you'd be struggling. Yeah. You know, and, and this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm. So if you if it's if it's hard to start a, your career in this, it's because it's hard to start a career in 
any industry. Absolutely. I think people just don't recognize that you actually have to go and do it and that there's not this, it's not a, a talent search. The funny thing is, I, you're absolutely right. I realized being down in Brighton that I was, I thought I was arriving with like hundreds of like minded people and, and everybody loved music. Don't get me wrong. Everybody there loved music, but everybody's also got a different agenda. And I found out being around those people and being in that place that mine was what you were talking about. It was that. And it's like I've said, that sense of that, that get up and go sense of I have to, I have to do this for myself. And I, this sounds corny as well, but I have to believe in myself more than any of these people might. Um, you know, as friendly as they are or not, it's, you know, it's, it, I was kind of, I was out of my parents' house and in the real world a little more so. Yeah. And, and people will be with you and against you. And um, in all of that, you just got to, you got to love it enough and, and believe that you're great and that you're going to change some people's minds and, and move some people. And um, my so assumption I, I learned is that your, down. your parents were supportive throughout this process or you wouldn't be going to school. That's very it. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the best thing, I'll say the best thing about how my parents were with mine, my desire to be musical is that they didn't ever push me like so hard, like, oh, okay, if you want to be a musician, well, you got to, come on, you got to be rehearsing like, all the time. What are you doing? You're not rehearsing. They didn't do that. They weren't that extreme. And they didn't, um, they didn't say, don't be ridiculous. You can't have a life in music. That's, that's, that's silly. They just sort of sat right in the middle there and, and, and let me love it. And they, they, lo- they liked to come to shows and sort of see that thing and, and watch their kids just enjoy being wild on stage and stuff. When did you record first? Um, I think I was probably, f- well... What version of recording? Because we bought me and uh, my brother Alex and, and my oldest friend Tom, who is still my bass player in my band <laughs> now, like today. He he, the three of us chipped in together for an eight track recorder, uh, like digital little sure. box thing. It was a Zoom MRS eight, and um, which my brother still has. So we started messing around with that from like thirteen or fourteen years old, and making terrible recordings. We did that for years, and then we got some guy in town. Um, in Hitchin said he had a studio. We, we played around town all the time. Um, we used to play a lot of our own material and he was kind of inspired to invite us to his studio to record f- five or six of our songs. And that was when I was about 15 or 16 years old. Uh, so we went and did that. Re- not really, didn't have a clue what we were doing. Tried to play live all in one take and do like loads of takes. And it was terrible, but um, I still love it to this day because it's, you know, it's one of my first have you, ever. have you ever released it? No way. <laughs> Really? No, it's There's not no that. Way. It's not that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, I mean, I'm I am proud of it though. And, and between us friends, we still have those recordings. And I haven't listened to them for a long time. But yeah, that was the first time I, we put something together. I'm gonna have to hear that uh, when this is done. I have to find it. Um, it's in your phone, and you know it. You don't have to it's, find it. it. You I have mean, a playlist that says like my early songs or something. I wish. I feel like I should now. Yeah, for sure. You There's have a text it. or two I can send. I can get it in a, in an instant. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, considering Tom's your bass player, absolutely. My, my assumption is that no, I'm sure he know. can do the same. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, how do you get from Brighton to you know Repub- Republic? Right. There's there's a, a gap from I'm not going to stay in this school for a second yeah. year. Yeah. To I'm going to sign with the biggest record company right. in the world. Yeah. Um, there's a few important moments in that. I, so the thing about these music colleges, um, which is wonderful, is that they are in touch with, or there are managers out in this world, and, and A and R scouts that are, um, they are 
they kind of have their finger on the pulse uh, as much as possible. So they're in touch with these colleges and they're saying all the time, is there anything going on at the college? They get in touch with the college and they say, anybody we should come and see. And Paul, who sat with us here, and Ryan, who managed me together, um, they were just staying in touch with all these different colleges. And, and Ryan uh, said to the folks down in Brighton, anybody we should come and check out. And they sent my MySpace page to Paul and Ryan. Amazing. Yeah, we're going back to the eight. No. <laughs> We're going back, though. We're going back far. Um, not quite the 80s, but we're, we're going back far and um, to where MySpace is still a thing. When the other Tom was your friend, wasn't that the thing? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, they sent. Uh, there was one original song of mine on there. What was it? Uh, it was called Glow. Okay. Probably find you that later. Oh, there you go. Um, and, and the next night, there was like a... Uh, not quite annual. They did these like biannual shows the the college where like 20 you you had to audition for these shows like four or five hundred students would audition to get one of the 20 spots to perform on these nights and i'd been lucky enough in previous ones to play i think three or four times beforehand i played at these things and there was one coming up that i hadn't auditioned for i confess at this point this is i don't know if anybody's like knew this i didn't i didn't audition but the folks at the college were very smart and kind and uh, Paul and Ryan had said they wanted to come down and see me play. Is there anywhere that was there anywhere I'd be playing? So they put me on uh, the, the the people at the college put me on at this night to to play one of my own songs. Uh, and Paul and Ryan came down and sat and watched it. And um, I guess it went okay. I, I the song was not very good. It was a, a solid two out of ten in my opinion. But the song, yeah. But the performance was. Obviously, I, I hope so. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. Paul's smiling, so uh, we're gonna have to hope it was it was it was a good one. But um, uh, I did that. And then me and Paul and Ryan went off to a bar and, and they just sort of said, look, we've, we think you're great and we love what you're doing and we obviously respect that you're at this college and you, could, you can stick with that if you want. But they kind of wanted to put like a, an arm around my shoulder and, and um, kind of guide me along and help me out in any way that they could and very much in a managerial way. And... F- and so it, it all started, I think as soon as they said that, I was like, okay, forget this college. I want to follow these guys into like the, the real music world um, with all respect to the college. And uh, we went from there and I spent a couple of years writing and really working on writing and getting better at writing and sort of learning how to do all how, of that. How were you getting better at writing? I was trying co-writing. Actually, one of the things that, I, that really excited me about Paul and Ryan coming down is that I knew from a little bit of conversation that they'd had a lot of contact with co-writers, with like professional songwriters, and they, they worked with other artists of theirs with a lot of these songwriters. And I'd read hundreds and millions of sleeve notes where it might say, you know, uh, it might list one of my favourite songs by James Morrison, but it's written by James Morrison, Martin Brammer, and like different writers, you know, and I was like, who are these guys? And they would tell me all about that. And um, so they introduced me to those types of people and who were some of those people well funnily enough this dude martin brammer is a brilliant writer in the uk um they introduced me to a guy who's still one of my great friends in music called john green who uh, john's great john is it you know john yeah oh what a dream he's here right now this week he's, yeah. he's in la i'm seeing him tonight for dinner he's he's one of my closest and and, and greatest collaborators and friends and uh a guy called Jamie Hartman who works out yeah, of LA now. Sure, he, he's yeah. a brilliant dude. He, I actually, with those guys, with all the people I listed, I wrote some of the first, well, the first songs that went on my first album. And, I, and that, that was, we're going back to 2011, 2012. And then uh, and I collected a few songs and I must have written hundreds of songs and managed to get three or four good ones. Because that's, you know, that's what it is. Like we write lots of songs and 
maybe one of them every month or few months is like a really good one. I guess that changes as you get better sure. at writing. But back then, that was what it was. Did you have that gauge? I was. Like, did I, you know it wasn't good enough? I, I was learning that. Well, I was really learning that. And the, there's one, one of the priceless things about um, having great managers is quickly working out, them quickly working out a way to be honest with you. And you um, being kind of big enough and I suppose grown up enough to take that and learn from it and move forward. If, you, if that can't work, there's a lot of things that can't work. It's a, it's a really important thing. Were you always good at taking criticism? I like to think so, but I tell you what, I like to think so because more than anything, I wanted to get ahead and uh, I'm going to say succeed. It's a weird word to use, but more than anything, I wanted songs that more and more people wanted to hear and, and, and loved. And that means you've got to learn how to take criticism because I, I can write you a song in a day on my own even, because there's also, you know, there's all sorts of weird, uh, strange um, opinions on, on co-writing. Um, but it's not, it's not nine out of 10 times. It, it could be better if I've either worked for longer on it or worked with other people on it. That's all right. That's collaboration. Great. Yeah, it's a different, it, it, it's easy to write songs, it's hard to write hits. That's it. Yeah. That is it. And I think, and, and Paul and Ryan were probably telling me, saying that exact thing, with their own experience, they were saying that exact thing <clears throat> Even back then, what eight, eight or nine years ago, and it's a that was a priceless like mindset to be around for for me. Um, so by the end of 2012, I had a handful of songs, and this is a fun and funny story to tell. Um, uh, you'll understand the, the the more inner workings of this story, as with a lot of people listening, but um, there'll be a lot of people who don't as well. By the end of 2012. Um, there started to be a little bit of talk and a little bit of buzz just within the industry about me um, and my songs. So we did a couple of shows that in London that all the major record labels came down to. Um, the nature of the beast is this. You'll, a lot of people will do those shows and one out of 10 times, there'll be this crazy frenzy of all the labels going, we've got to sign that person. The rest of the time, like it was for me, they all come down, they all walk away and they're not that fussed because there's lots of great music out there. And I don't know, they're looking in lots of different directions. Uh, and there was somebody at one also, of these... Also, the people who are at the first shows are not really the people who can see a show and then sign that artist. That's, and that's, a, that's absolutely right. So all right. those people at all of those shows all have to like it enough that when your name's brought up at the meeting, enough people there say, no, 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 don't skip this one yet. And for a brand new unknown artist, that's a very hard like thing to achieve for those people, let alone yeah. the artist, for those, for those people. From your perspective, one of, the, one of the hard things when you're developing an artist is getting the A-list writers sure. to yeah. even listen to it. Sure. In the same way, getting the A-list, A&R people yep. to listen to it. Absolutely. How do you get... The John Green and Jamie Hartman; these are are people who are sought after yeah. by artists who already have a deal. Yeah. How do those people get inspired enough to work on a project that isn't signed? A lot of people will hit us up and say, like, you know, like, how do we get in the room with whoever? Right. Or, you know, and it's I'll be like, honest. well, you know, it happens when it happens. I think Paul, <laughs> this will this will resonate with Paul and my managers. Paul and Ryan and 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 everybody else. Paul's and, here, by the way. He's he, way up in the stands because yeah, we're in Wembley. Yeah. So like, but he's, he he's is, got us on the big screen. Yeah, so yeah, he's got right. He can, he's got. Yeah. yeah, he can see us and he can hear us through the PA. Yeah, we'll wave to him. 
from my perspective, and I think Paul will agree, um, he needs this, like the manager needs this from the artist um, and they obviously need to be able to do it themselves. Uh, how, so the question was how does uh, anybody, you know, get in a room with such great writers? It goes all the way back to learn to take criticism and work harder to be better at, at writing songs and, and write great ones because the only real thing that's going to get you into those rooms, I think, is great songs in the first place. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's always hard. It's hard when you're not writing with that many people and maybe you're more on your own. And it's still hard to write, like we said earlier, a great song or a hit, no matter who you're writing with. So there's no sort of surefire um, answer or equation, but I think in all of it, if you're, as long as you're like working hard to do interesting and great stuff, sooner or later that'll get picked up by any or maybe all of the, the writers out there and people will start to cotton onto it and, and be interested. And eventually you can't write with everybody all at once, you know. It will come as long as you work hard or it should do. I, I suppose we can't say that it will because there's no surefire anything in this, in this world and in this work. Um, but I, I can say that much. Is that, is that an answer? Yeah, that's a good answer. Okay, right. so... We gonna, can... I've got to tell you in a minute how it gets all the way to Republic as well. Yeah. I, I, I kind of left it at all these labels didn't like me. Yeah. I don't want to leave Perfect. it there because there's loads of great people at those labels. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, loads of brilliant. But then, do you think they didn't like you, or do you think they liked you and were like, "Wow, I'm 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 a the I'm a scout. You know, there's only so much I can do." It could be that. It could be that, and uh, it could also um, Paul's agreeing big time. Uh, it could be. I just saw him like miles away, like nod his head. I saw he waved when he said <laughs> that from the back of the stadium. Um, it could be that. It could also be that those people. This is like the nature of the beast. A lot of those people could assign something recently that's similar to 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 what I'm doing. Like because in those early days, things can seem more similar, and because there's so much growing that any artist is yet to do, and and growing to become more unique and this and that. Anyway, I did those shows. Some people were kind of into it, and the majority didn't come back with much. That's okay. If I believe in myself, which I have to, and I do, and I did. Um, you got to keep going anyway, because I'm doing this for the love of doing it, as well as wanting to essentially kind of impress all sorts of people. Songwriters, you could be the grand prize winner and score up to $5,000 in cash, one of 12 Martin guitars, as well as a mentoring session with L. King, Joe London, or myself. The lyric winner will win an opportunity to be mentored by award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Enter the 20th annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitar Strings and CMT now through October 31st at nsai.cmt.com. NSAI, the National Songwriters Association International is one of the biggest supporters of songwriters and played a major role in helping pass the Modernization Act, a historical piece of legislation that allows you to have a future as a songwriter. This is your opportunity to experience industry access, one-on-one -on -one mentorship with hit songwriters, and fund your creative passions. Song and lyric-only categories are open now for submissions. We can't wait to hear your songs. Today's podcast is brought to you by the musician website platform, Banzoogle. For regular listeners of Man The Writer Is, you already know you can use Banzoogle to design a website, EPK, you know, sell your music, merch, commission-free from your website, use the tour calendar to promote your shows, collect emails from fans, send professional newsletters, yada, yada, yada. But Banzoogle just 
did some new things since season four. Um, they added uh, um, fan subscriptions. So now your fans can pay a monthly fee in exchange for exclusive rewards and access to your music, giving you recurring revenue for your career. I mean, think about it. You're basically like the Taylor Swift of do-it-yourself musicians. You can now easily add any kind of content to your subscriber pages, including a blog feed, music, videos, photo galleries, and more. When you want to send an update, you can simply send a messenger to subscribers using a built-in mailing list tool. Um, and like all of the Banzoogle sales you know, tools, the subscriptions, all these things are commission-free. So all payments from your fans go directly into your account. So go to Banzoogle.com and try free for 30 days and use the promo code ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code ATWI to build your website for your music. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Plus, in 2012, this is like the height of probably Teenage Dream and stuff like that. You know, like the music that you're doing isn't what everyone else is doing. So yeah. not only do people have to like it, they have to like it and then they have to think. Yeah, and see if and they can fit really it in. And that's really hard to get people who are part of a machine to think that, well, because this is unique, that's an advantage rather than yeah. because it's unique, it's scary. That's going to be 95% of the opinions. And, you, and the be, other thing, you know, that's absolutely right. The other thing I was battling against, and, and anybody in my position at that time would have been battling against, is it was a real hot moment for like YouTube sensation singer-songwriters, by which I mean like singer-songwriter writes song or even maybe covers a song, puts it on YouTube, and overnight, 500,000 plays. Overnight, 2 million views or plays. It, it was a time for that. So I think if... It, or it, it really felt like it was a, 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 a pretty strong time for that. So a lot of those people coming to those shows, those A&Rs or whatever, they wanted to know if I had those kind of um, stats. And I did not. I did not. I was just going off trying to have a real connection with people and, and songs and, you know, in a moment live. Um, so I, I did two of these shows and they were okay. And, and, you know, not an enormous amount came from them, at least initially. And I went away. And I thought, what else can I be doing? Because I, I do just want to perform and I, I want to write and I want to do all of this, but I, but I want to um, be performing as well. And I'd already at this point had two or three years of carting myself around um, 
not the country, but the sort of local area, local to Brighton or local to London or even Hitchin, those three places are about two hours from each other. So it's not too far. And So uh, I was writing a lot in London at the time, lots of studios in London, writing with the likes of John and, and Jamie and people like that. And in the evening, because it was an expensive train ticket, if I'm honest with you, getting into yeah. London, it, I, I was trying it's to like make... actually like 50 bucks to get right. from Brighton, right? It's nuts. So, yeah. so I was trying to... Quid. There you go. Nailed it. Gotcha. But you know, it all works. Yeah. Um, uh, I was trying to like get as much from my train ticket as I could. So I was staying in London in the evening um, for a few extra hours after I finished writing to find an open mic night, if there was an open mic night anywhere. And in London, there's a load. And I went to this place called the, uh, the Abbey Tavern uh, in Kentish Town, which is kind of Camden sort of area. And, um, and it was it's just a pub. You know, a lot of open mic nights happen in pubs, but it was a kind of a nice like stage in the window. It sort of felt like a bit of a vibe. And I got a slot and I went up at about, I don't know, 8.30, 9 o'clock um, to a, like a, a room full of about 12 people. It probably could have held 100 people, but it probably had about 12 people in it because that's how it goes. It was like a Tuesday night. Um, and I played a few songs. And in, during the first song, a guy walked in with a massive camera, like not a digital camera, a little thing. It was like a big, like I make movies on this camera, camera. On his, like, kind of, it was under his arm, but I suppose he would have worn it on his shoulder for work. And he sat down, he got himself a drink and he sat down. And um, in the second song, just as I was starting up the second song, he, he got the camera up on his shoulder and he started rolling. Saw the little red light and he filmed that and he filmed the last song as well. And... Um, I got off the stage after my little three-song set and he came over and he said, I thought that was great, man. That was really cool. And I said, thanks, man. I, I think I saw you filming. I said, I think I saw him. It was a massive camera. And, people <laughs> and there were 12 people. Yeah, people, so, <laughs> people kind of couldn't <laughs> right. see the camera. And he said, yeah. I said, uh, it's very big. I said, what's the, what's the story with this enormous camera? How come? He said, no, I know it looks weird. I, I'm actually a, I'm a cameraman. It's my job and this is my, my tool for work. But um, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll edit this thing. Uh, I'll sort of, you know, put it get it into shape and i put it on youtube and I'll, I'll like send you the link i said thanks and we kind of carried on with our lives and um, a few weeks went by and i found the link or he sent it to me and i clicked on it and it had been weeks at this point i thought wow fingers crossed and it had about 23 plays perfect huge number you know the yeah. big the big exciting 23 plays but um around that same time we got a call from republic records in america uh, they had found this video. How? I think uh, someone asked me this recently because I couldn't really remember initially. But if I'm to guess, it would be that even then, YouTube videos had like tags, like songwriter, acoustic guitar, and I, I th I'd imagine there are people at major record labels who like search those things, and one leads to another, leads to another. You know, they they sort of pop up. So they they found it one way or another. It might have been like that. Um, and they called us and they said, we really love this video and we, we love the song and we'd love to hear more, um, but we'd like to hear it live. We'd like to fly you to New York and, and, and meet you and maybe play, play us some more songs, which was a, just that, that in itself really kind of blew my mind. And it, talking about this in hindsight, like talking about it, remembering it, it all sounds like such a sort of Hollywood story. It sounds very kind of, and then, you know, he went around the world and all this stuff. But even at that moment, it was a terrifying experience going, you know, getting on a plane and flying to New York. I had been to New York one time with my family on vacation. Um, it was all right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, being a tourist in a big, busy city is, is a, a challenge in itself. It was, you know, New York's amazing. But, like, so, but to be flown back there by this label was 
brilliant and wonderful and absolutely terrifying um, because I knew at this point that a lot of the major labels in the UK weren't that fussed. And I felt like a little bit more hung on it because I knew I wanted to get signed and I wanted to sort of go through the next steps and really try and make a, like a proper record one day. Um, but I went and I and I played and there was a couple labels. There were a couple labels in the UK that were interested and there was a little juggle eventually because I'd met them and I'd met Republic. Um, but the guys at Republic were brilliant. They they understood it all. Yeah, and to set the stage of what what this looks like mm. for people who don't know this, you know, to go and play for twelve people, which a lot of people who listen to this know what that's like. Sure. Um, whether they're the biggest artist in the world or not, sure. they played in front of twelve people Absolutely. at one point or less, mm. and or fewer. I mean, and you show up to New York after years of recording and playing, and it's Republic. When you go to this building, it's right off of Times Square. Mm. You know, it's about a few blocks away. You go up these elevators. You have to go. You check in. They. You go through these. You know, uh, uh, whatever you call those spinning gates things. Yeah, yeah, know, all of that. Yeah. So you go through, you go upstairs, and Republic's a really communal looking room. A lot of labels, you know, you have to, you don't know who's working next door. No, but no. Republic is a, a lot of people who can look at each other. So you walk in, and immediately you can see all the different offices mm. that have windows on one side, and then you see a pool of, of people who are working at the label that are all able to look at you walk through the elevators and look at each other as well and, and look at each the, other all the making eyes. So yeah. it's a really it's a you know I just want people to see what what that looks like for somebody who's just gotten off a plane yeah. having played mostly in small clubs or pubs you know, like, yeah yeah in London, all the labels are really close to each other. In yeah. New York, some of them are close to each other. But when you're in that environment, it feels like being in a record label in Manhattan. Yeah, and that's if that a- makes some sense. So the I think when you walk in through those doors or through that elevator, there's probably some e- even more expectations that oh man, this is this is really real. Not to mention that you know the artists that are coming out from Republic. During the the 2010s, this is are it. the biggest in the world. Massive. So it's not like, you know, you have Taylor and you mm. have, you know, now Ariana, Nicki but Minaj. you know, Nicki Minaj. You have the Weekend and Drake and mm. all. I mean, it's just so many big artists. So I can imagine that being a really pressureful. It really, really moment. was, and there's two and things. And also exciting, right? You this know, is like, it. like you know, as, I, as I remember it. it. Yeah, no, you. That's it, perfectly accurate. All of that, and as I remember it, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, well, what was going through my mind? And, and there was one thing. There was two things going through my mind. One had to go through my mind, and that was, I still believe in myself. I still believe that these people want me here. Um, to see if they think I'm as good as they think I am, but I, un- I, I, and I, this might—I don't know—this might sound big-headed, but you have to have a little bit of this. Sure, you have to have some ego. You have to have some belief that you're good. Do and, you get um, nervous when you play? That's a—I get very excited. Um, I don't feel like it's nerves. There's a bit of nerves. Don't get me wrong, but that isn't the overwhelming feeling. There's a there's an adrenaline that like there's people out there who want to be here, and it's all going to be incredible. It's going to be as incredible as I can make it. Um, again, like, I, and I sound like a real Brit here because we're very modest. We're particularly kind of, you know, like we're very self-deprecating, but or we can be. But so that's why I'm 
I don't know, trying to okay all of this, but um, you have to believe in yourself. And so I, I don't get too nervous. Um, so the, the two things that were going through my head were, I believe in myself. I can see all these people in this, this record label making all the eyes and out, whether they're out of excitement or not, I got to deliver this. And the other thing was, you know, I was coming in with my acoustic guitar under my arm, inspired by Ray LaMontagne and Adele and, you know, that very organic, um, less kind of shiny pop-leaning music. And I was in the house of, of Taylor Swift and Drake and Nicki Minaj and, you know, very kind of punchy, powerful pop. And I really wanted to be there. And I still love it. I've got to be honest with you, the most exciting thing for me about Repu signing to Republic is that they are this, like, superpower monster label. And they, they want me to do my thing in their house uh, so that they can kind of be a part of it. And um, that the adrenaline that that gave me, the excitement that that gave me, kind of fueled me as well. Um, I wanted to be unique in, in that environment. So you obviously signed to Republic. And I signed to, <laughs> I signed to Republic. <laughs> so it worked out. Um, so then when you have, you do this record deal, biggest label in the world, you have some songs at this point. Right. How much of chaos and the calm was written by the time you were signed? When I signed the deal, I hadn't written Let It Go and I hadn't written Hold Back the River. Okay. And those two songs off Chaos and the Calm really kind of carried that album, which I'm very proud to say. But the interesting and exciting, and I guess I'm not even being biased, the wonderful thing about Republic is they heard, moved together, um, and uh, when we were on fire, those songs I wrote with uh, Jamie Hartman and, and, and John Green, and my new song at that time that I'd just written was a song called Get Out While You Can, which was kind of a very Bruce Springsteen sort of vibe. And I stood and played it for the men on acoustic guitar. It was like a Bruce Springsteen meets Kings of Leon kind of vibe that I, I had, is the way I recorded that song and we, we produced that song. But I, I, I kind of, I was just doing it with my acoustic guitar just like as honestly as I possibly could. And I remember Avery and Monty and the rest of the label just really... It's nice to to say that they were like they were moved by the experience. Um, it did matter what songs I had, and they they I was in there because they wanted to hear like those songs, um, and they wanted to hear some potential, I guess. But they have always given me a lot of room to to grow. How long did it take you to write those which songs? One, which one? After uh, Let It Go and about the, uh, Let It Go, those came, are huge records. Thanks, so. man. Let it Let It Go came in in in. Um, I signed in February 2013. I think it was... I like to try and remember these dates, but I can't. Yeah, that'd be weird. Nobody usually does. And, uh, <laughs> and I signed in February and I wrote um, Let It Go like April or May. And I wrote Hold Back the River after I had spent the first two weeks making Chaos in the Calm. I started making Chaos in the Calm uh, in Nashville with Jakir King for two weeks and I went home... Uh, at the end of October, and then in November, I did a load of touring in the UK, and um, I opened up for a band called Codaline. And then at the end of that tour, the night after that, I had a headline show, my first headline show in a in the basement of a pub to about a hundred people. Um, and yeah, I kind of built myself up to that night, and I was also really excited to like celebrate this year that I'd had with all the, the people who came yeah. to that show. It was like my family and friends, sure. and, like four new fans, and. Uh, and I was going to celebrate this night. It was going to be wonderful. And it all came and went. And I, and I went home. And uh, the next day I had to fly off and go somewhere else. And I didn't get to see any of my friends and family properly. And I, Hold Back the River ended up being a lot about that, about the kind of whirlwind experience 
being wonderful, but also kind of difficult because you don't get to be present and connected with all your most important people. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I wrote that the next day and then I went back in December to do some more recording. And I, yeah, in Nashville, making Chaos in the Calm and I went back with uh, Hold By The River. Paul Berry, your co-writer. Yeah, um, I Let It Go, yeah. I Let It Go. That guy's a legend. That guy's, yeah. That he's like That's such a huge name and it's just not a huge name in the US, but I mean... He did write Hero for Enrique Iglesias. Yeah. And he did write... Vamos, right, na, 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 and he wrote... Um, what was I did, he did Do You Believe Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the guy's, the, the guy's like, a legend. He, the guy knows what he's doing. Um, most of your co-writes are with one other person. Yeah. Is that by design? No. I'll be honest. I mean, I do like that one-on-one experience and connection, but... I have written with with Me multiple too. folks. I, you know, in in LA, there's a vibe of, let's get, you know, we need to have at least three, and that'll go to four or five, sometimes more, and sometimes it's fun, and I it's bet. supposed to be fun. I bet if you can just view it as like today's just for for fun, yeah, then you might just get a great song from it. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of songs. Yeah. Joe, who's in this room, had you know two or three hits that came from a group of people that were just having a lot of fun in That's the room. But also, there is um, you know there is a, a, a an intimacy when it's one on one that you yeah. get this left to center kind of music. Because and as I moved like into writing, really, you know, twenty eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I was it was a big kind of growing period for my for my writing and it it, it always just felt um easier maybe even a bit better when it was sort of one on one but I don't mind it when it's two I've not done I don't know if I've really written with when it's been more than 3 people in the room I don't think I've done one like that I can't remember but um one on one always felt good and like speaking of Paul Barry and and when we wrote let it go for me the writing experience the co-writing experience um, can sometimes be extremely collaborative, and sometimes, in honesty, I have I have something I'm trying to say, and I have a slightly more clear idea of what I'm trying to create. And the other person in the room is like a great like buffer or filter, and kind of like metaphorically, kind of sits in the corner. Sometimes, quite literally, sits in the corner, just like with one ear on what I'm doing, and. Um, kind of helps me along I might look up when I think I've got the verse and go what do you think and they might go nah but that, that's a good co-writer it's a great co-writer you know like not not all you know if two people in a room and you have to contribute 50% yeah you know sometimes if that person contributes 45% but it's worth 55% but that's it that's of the it. information like that that can be worth it too they don't yeah. necessarily have to be the one who's writing all the melodies and lyrics in That's order it. for them to be a good And in honesty, co-writer. sometimes I walk in with an emotion or a feeling, and especially like sometimes with, with John Green, and this is probably because we're so close in all of this, he's great at leading it. Yeah, I'm going, well, I'm feeling this, and he's coming up with phenomenal melodies that I'm chipping in on. Yeah, But he's, you know, he might be leading the sort of musical charge, and I, all based on me talking about how I'm feeling about a thing. It, so it works in all different ways. And it can be like that with three people in the room. And I just don't have the experience of more than, th- more than three of us in the room. But so it varies. The music comes out and it's wildly successful. Let It Go in particular in the US, just, you know, so that's more my experience sure, with the song. Sure, man. Yeah. But everywhere it's huge. It's very cool. It, it goes 
so much faster than you can tour. Absolutely. You can't possibly be in Australia and in the UK and in the US and the rest of the world all at once. You tried. We tried. You did your best. We tried. What does it feel like to be on that kind of roller coaster? How are you mentally dealing with that? Did you mentally deal with it? Great questions. Did I mentally deal with it? I think I did okay. Um, I, I, I like to think I kind of went with the flow as much as possible. Um, but boy, was I learning very much on the job, like every day, um, and learning about when to throw more of my opinion in or more of how I felt and, and when not to, and when to let everybody else just sort of run, you know, steer the ship and run the show. Um, and looking back now, even from where I am today, um, I've still got learning to do and I've still, I've still got uh, work to do on, on those fronts. But how did I deal with it as best I could? Um, and I talk to different artists as much as I can about their experience um, and everybody deals with it different. I think, uh, I don't know. I, I, know I, I know obviously I sort of got through it and I'm, but arguably I'm still on the ride, you know, and, and, and it'll change and evolve as, as, as time goes on as, and as long as I keep working and writing. Um, but I feel, I feel proud of that time. I mean, you went from playing for a hundred people, your closest allies. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's a difference between that and Glastonbury. Oh man, just a just a little. But there've got to be some parts that are really similar and mean different. Like there've got to be some parts of performing in front of a hundred people that matter. That is somehow difficult mentally, in a way yeah. that that playing in front of. 60,000 or right. I don't know, some stupid number. It's a crazy <laughs> number. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. You know, I mean, we could go, there's so many fun things that happen during this time. I, I mean, know. Yeah. before we even get to the Grammys and right. the Brits and right, all that, right, you right. play with the Rolling Stones. Uh, the, I think that's before that, right? It, well, the, here's or right the, around the, the wildest thing that, I, as a fan of the Rolling Stones, is that, um, and again, my modest British self is like tearing my, me to pieces inside. Yeah. But, this is the worst podcast for that. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know. But I, I, I want to. I, I can sit here and say, I'll keep making. That was it that was the first time I played with the Stones, and there was a second time in 2018. <laughs> they, they were very different. Those yeah. those those occasions. That I have to be kind of clear and honest. Uh, um, 2013, they played in Hyde Park, and they had a string of acts open up for them, and they supposedly, you know, sort of called everybody up. And well, not called everybody up, but um, you know. They asked everybody along, and I. The Stones went on at like eight PM and played till ten thirty, and were phenomenal. Even you know in twenty thirteen, and I probably went on at like one PM in the afternoon. And but the craziest thing for me is that there was a poster all around London that said the Rolling Stones, and <laughs> it had like Jake Bug and yeah. a couple of other like great openers. And at the bottom of the poster was my name, and I shared the poster yeah. with the Stones, and it was wild. And then in twenty eighteen last year, they invited us to open for them in uh, Twickenham in a stadium like this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, in in London, and uh, we got to keep it up. There you go. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> uh, they, and and um, and yeah. I, so I got to, you know, come into contact with one of my favorite bands, and definitely one of the greatest bands of all time for a second time. Yeah. Um, and this time it says like Rolling Stones and James then opening. Yeah, right. Wild. After. And they yeah. invite me up on stage. We sang Beast of Burden. It was the craziest experience of my life. Do you? Call them Mick and Keith. Yeah. Do they text you? Yeah. No. True. 
No, not Keith. Keith. I don't think Keith gives a damn about Keith cell doesn't phones know what a phone is, right? And that's great. Yeah. He doesn't need to. Yeah, he he's sending to, a but, pigeon. Um, or an owl. Right, or I like hope that. so. He's yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, 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 the love and support that I felt from those guys um, is still quite impossible to fathom. We, we did three nights at Brixton Academy in 2015, which is a really, like, well-sought-after venue in London and in the UK. And um, Ronnie came and did a song with us. Ronnie Wood came up and did a song with us on, on one of those nights because uh, I, I, I asked him, I boldly decided to ask him, and he kindly said, I'd love to. So, um, yeah, we, and Ronnie... Ronnie once sent me a, uh, he wasn't sure if I'd got a text. Cause he, so he sent me, because he, he'd sent it from one of the, whether it was an iPad or a, a Mac or a, or a phone. So I, he sent me a text which he had taken a picture of the text on his iPad screen with his iPhone and texted me the picture of the text from his iPhone. Classic. That was the greatest moment ever. Classic old man. And there were so many it. fantastic emojis. <laughs> it was a colorful text. It was great. That's something I would do. And that, I can't believe I'm even saying that to you. I really can't. It's nuts. Um, so you have, I mean, obviously we all know the success of, I guess we don't all know, the, the album's super successful. You get a bunch of Grammy nominees. You know, for the Americans, that's huge. Brits, Ivor Novello's probably the biggest. Oh, yeah, you know, no. Just, just stupid kind of accolades. Nuts. Was there any pressure in following up that and did you were you able to enjoy the aftermath of it or was there like a, when you've had that kind of year after you know two straight years of pushing an album and singles that are yeah. reacting is there a moment where you just were like oh, I'm going to go on vacation there was just, 10 days okay. yes there was there was you 10 still days. remember them what, and they, what did and you they, do no no they were fine those 10 days were fine but they were they were okay i was just super hungry to to make more music my only experience of releasing an album uh, was Chaos and the Calm. So, you know, there was massive pressure. Absolutely, there was definitely pressure. And, I, and I, some of that I put on myself, some of that I felt from elsewhere. Um, it, it's never not going to be like that when, I guess, when your, your first record or a record that you've released does those wonderful things. Um, uh, but I, I had the greatest time. I had the greatest time making my second record. Yeah. I... Um, and I, yes, yeah, well, you so got like, more involved in the production. Way more, least, yeah, you know. yeah, I, 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 yeah, way more involved in all of that. And I, I ended up sharing almost the entire experience, like eight or nine um, out of ten, or eighty or ninety percent of it was me and John Green, um, who, like I've already said, is just a great, great friend and a, a brilliant, brilliant bloke and a brilliant musician and writer. And um, we did pretty much all of it together. Um, I did write a song on that record with Jimmy Napes, who's a phenomenal yeah. writer um, and a, a great guy. And uh, I was really proud of that. And it felt kind of ready to a lot of us. And it had really just been John and I putting it together and, and producing it. And um, uh, Rob at the label had a sort of a, a chance opportunity when he was sat down with Paul Epworth to show him some of the stuff. Uh, I'm a massive, massive fan of Paul. Uh, always, always have been, or at least, well, I say always. Um, definitely around what he was doing with Adele, like so many of us. We, you know, when he started to have that great success with Adele's second record, um, and I know he'd done great things with bands like Block Party in the past before that. So he's always done brilliant, exciting things. And uh, he heard some of these songs that John and I had put together for the second album, and he called me. He called me up and he said, I "I've heard your music, and I think it's brilliant." And he said, "I think you could put it out." 
Um, but I know that you're not in a great rush, and I, I know that you're you're you know sort of biding your time and, and making sure it's finished. And he said, if if I may, can I take this opportunity and and see if you want to mess around with some of it at my studio? He's got this brilliant studio called the Church in in Crouch End in London, and um, what what an offer! I was like, I was kind of blown away by yeah, this insane. like produ- production hero. Um, uh, and kind of modern day legend, like coming in and asking if I wanted to um, work on some of the stuff I'd already created with him. So we spent, me and John went and spent a few weeks with Paul and we, yeah, we kind of tinkered and messed around and really improved a lot of it um, and, and brought it to life again. And and suddenly we got Paul Etworth, um, yeah, included in in the experience. And I had the greatest time making the second record and like, I all of it's intentional you know I I wanted to I wanted to go somewhere else do something a bit different evolve and and change as an artist and obviously try and hold on to some of the things that are are so instinctively and innately me uh, musically Um, and it's all part of the journey you know it's it's a chapter and 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 it was a lot of fun and I'm excited to obviously you know I got to release I got to work with Julia. Like I got to work with Julia Michaels and who I was always a fan of and had been signed to Republic as well for a couple of years and you know, as you'll know, lots of artists and writers, we're never in the same town, right? the same place at the same time. And eventually um, we were, Julie and I have met and then a year, about a year later, we finally got time to work together. And we've written a few times, but this this newest song, Peer Pressure, was the first thing we wrote together. So yeah, everything she's, that came she's after... She says hi, by the way. She says hi. Yeah. Say hi back. Oh, well. She, um, she's amazing. She, she uh, yeah, we got, we, we wrote, um, Peer Pressure was the first thing that we wrote together, but it, but it was... Uh, it was just very cool to sort of get to. That's not on the album, though. No, that's not so Electric Light. No. Is there a? Are you done with Electric Light as far as promoting at this point? Yeah. And then is well, the, kind of, I suppose. Is the thought process let's now release singles, or is it not really a thought process? And it's like this is a really good song with my friend. Yeah. Let's release this it, because peer this is, is 2019 and you can just decide to do that now. You've nailed it. Peer pressure is that. Um, and I mean, I'm still, obviously I'm touring and I'm touring. We just, we just did five weeks in the States and it was the Electric Light tour and, and, and we played a load of, load of songs off Electric Light and we played stuff of Chaos and the Calm and we played Peer Pressure and I even threw a new song in. So, Ooh, it, what's a new song? Well, all of that, I'm really, I'm, I'm very proud of this new song. I wrote it with Dan Wilson. Oh, nice! Um, it's called Bad, and it's uh, yeah, it's really cool. But also um, our friend Dan Wilson, what yeah. what a man! Yeah, that, that dude blows me away. Yeah, uh, his his Insta his Instagram account is incredible. Yeah, it's like the most zen like wizard Instagram. I mean, he's account. the best calligrapher in the music business. Right, uh, he's incredible. He but so we <laughs> yeah 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 I'm it, that what you were saying about just reacting to what you can do in 2019 and how you can release music is where I'm at, um, and I'm really enjoying that. Uh, but I also um, I feel like an album artist. Whatever is happening with albums, I feel like my fans want albums. Uh, I'm I'm an album artist in that respect, and I love albums. I love that body of work, that collection. Yeah. So I'm I'm recognizing that, and I'm working with that as well. There will be albums. There will always be albums. Well, for when me. you think of where you started with parents that listen to one that listens to rock music, one that listens yeah. to soul, you're like those are both genres that are truly album genres big time and so it's it's hard to envision only releasing singles and having someone ever get identity of That's an artist very true. That, you'd I, have to release so many singles and then you're putting so much pressure on the listener yeah. to 
to stitch together the human. That's where the album track, we, we call it the album track, but like that's where that seems yeah. extremely important. Yeah. Um, because it's, a, it's, it's just another, f- it's, for the listener, it's like, oh, this is another thing that they were thinking around this time and another thing that they were feeling around the time of making this music. Uh, you know, because so much, like you say, so much pressure is loaded onto the point of the single and what it's saying and how it sounds and all of that. Um, but you still have to feel some of that pressure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A- absolutely. But you, you, I think a lot of us have more music that we want to make than just a single's worth. Even if you release five singles in four months or whatever, there's, there's more. There's always more. You know, music can come quick sometimes and, and, in, and in, in kind of boatloads. So, and did some you, of that stuff's good. Did you ever want to write for other people? It, that's still. Uh, I mean, you have some some cuts, right? Yeah, I, or yeah, some people I, covered stuff. Yeah, or people have covered stuff. Um, I know that there was a. I know that Kygo used a song that I wrote. Um, I'm forgetting actually. There's 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 a few different yeah. like things that have sort of sort of seeped and and bled out there, and that that I've been a part of writing. But I suppose I still my feeling still towards that is I've got like stuff I want to prove about myself as a musician and, and things I want to say and absolutely so but I do to answer your question in a word yes I, I would like to do more of that I'm just I guess I'm trying to find time what happens to you in the next couple of years oh man um what's your dream scenario I would like I mean I'd like to keep I would really like to keep being able to tour around the world and like you know sell out shows like I, I'd like to do that I'd God, if I'm honest with you, I'd like to be on the radio. I'd like, I'd like to keep doing what I've been able to do for the last four or five years uh, in some capacity for the rest of my life, let alone the next three or four yeah. years or whatever, um, which you, I know is bold. You want the Rolling Stones grandkids yes, to open for you. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, oh, I mean, uh, that would be wild. open for you or go and keep playing yeah. with them. I thought you were going to say just achieve what the Rolling Stones have achieved and oh everybody wants that. I yeah. mean, that would be amazing. But I, I just want to be able to keep doing it. Do I you really, have a personal life? Yes, I have a very personal life. Um, How? When? Sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I, ha- I, I do. I have Lucy, my girlfriend at home. We've been together for 11 years. Oh, amazing. And um, yeah. we are, we're great. And, yeah. and it's, it's a wild ride, but I've been able to be on it with her the whole time. Yeah. Uh, in, shout one, out one to way Lucy. Another. Massive shout out Is she in music? Uh, she was. No, she's, she's very creative though. She works in ceramics and, yeah. and, and all that. And, uh, but no, yeah, I... Yeah, I want to be able to tour. I want to be able to keep coming to America to tour. I have to say, I have a very good time doing that, and yeah. uh, and and then hopefully go around the rest of the world, you know, as well, like I've been able to do for the last few years. All right, well, let's go to this this next segment. It's five for five. Five for five. Okay, it's probably a better title, as we've discussed for fifty something episodes. Um, I'm gonna just list five names, and you're gonna tell me the first thing that comes out the top. All right, of your head. here we go. Alex, your brother. Oh man, he's just like, he's like a, a whole part of me, like physically and spiritually. He's, he's, he's one of the biggest and mainest reasons that I got into doing this. I, I needed him. I realized more than ever in hindsight that I needed him. We went in together into this. We walked like out into the world being musical together. And I, even though I went off on my own, I couldn't probably have done that without starting next to him. Tom, your bassist. 
same actually the same answer because Tom is I've known Tom since I was probably two years old he's a brother he's oh, he's, he's family you know we we and he was it was me and Alex and it was Tom it was the three of us it like, must be so weird to be on stage with someone you've known since you're two and be like how how are these people still listening to us like, it was it's coolest, gotta feel absolutely wild very there. really nuts strange but was, this is kind of the same answer for Tom yeah. Well then, let's just keep going on these people. That's going to say them the same one. It's got to be John Green. You got to have a yeah. Similar, you know? it, it is the same, but but in a, in a slightly different way. John has taught me so much about writing. Lots of people have taught me lots about writing, but John, we've dug in pretty deep over the years on all on all different sort of subjects surrounding music and life, and and he is right there. Just a, what a companion, great dude. Definitely the funniest, yeah, funniest person I've ever met. Yeah, he's he's. He's very funny. I, I met. I think I worked with him and Lucy Silvis. You know. Lucy? Oh yeah, amazing. Yeah. Lucy and Lucy and John go back a long way. They were kids yeah. when they they yeah. first met. Yeah. 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 Let's give Lucy another shout out. I mean, I know Lucy, you just did, but no. Like, yeah, yeah. Like that's 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 almost hard to put into words. Like, yeah. That's she's like she's kept me alive. Yeah. I think she still does. Like that's yeah. She's uh, vital. <laughs> yeah, a, a good relationship as with if you're an artist to have somebody that. They don't. That's probably the best co-writer you have. Oh my god! Do you know god. what I mean? Like All no day one, long. no one ever really talks about it. But anybody who's in a relationship who's an artist knows that. You know, I joke about it with my wife, but yeah. it's like for sure. You know, there are times where she's like, "Well, do I get any writing credit?" For that one? <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, absolutely. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, you get fifty percent. It's a full spiritual. <laughs> like, that's got credit. It's got to come for something. Paul, Paul and Ryan, my manager, Paul and Ryan, will will really kind of understand that one too because um, she's actually a, 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 yeah, she kind of makes the square in a way. There's the the four of us like in, in terms of like how work goes, she can be really vital to it in, a, in an enormous way and, and and over the years as well, you know. Yeah, I'll say that. I'm going to do two more if that's okay. Do that it. makes it six sure, for six. That's fine. Six for six. Is that okay, guys? Okay. Uh, let's do Julia Michaels. Julia Michaels. Um, Julia, like, because she's this incredible... Uh, writer but she's this incredible artist i saw her perform the other night she was very kind and invited me up um when she was opening for for pink at the staples center we got up and did um peer pressure um so i've really experienced her fully as an artist now as well as mainly beforehand experiencing her as a writer and um she's obviously very young in in this whole experience she's only like in her early 20s and um she's achieved so much so she's totally wise beyond her years and we both meet brilliant writers who've been doing this for all sorts of numbers of years but to find somebody so um so talented and, and successful so young with such a wise head on her shoulders she's taught me even in the time I've known her a lot about I guess what I want to do going forward and how I want to be as an artist and a writer so pretty indispensable she's a huge heart yeah she's like, big time in, yeah okay um let's finish on your management not just because half of them are here right now <laughs> but let's finish with the keynote you because they were there from the from the, the show from, from, the from, from Brighton and you know I've met all sorts of artists as have you as has Paul who go through different managers and managers that go through different artists and it's a little bit how I am. The, the the reason why Paul and Ryan and I still work together nearly ten years later, um, it's definitely um, about how I am. I, I, I'm a loyal person, and I love um, relationships that grow over time. You know, professionally and in work and, and in everything else. I, I love that. I'm all about that journey. But um, God, they've taught me like so much, and and I think I one of the things I appreciate the most is the the 
courage actually from from their perspective to go yeah that's not good enough that needs to be better um that's that's priceless that's absolutely priceless so many artists kind of come into this like okay great and they kind of rub their hands together and go when's the first theater arena stadium um when's the first private jet this that you know um when's the first when's where's the numbers when's the first hit single I've thought those kind of things like everybody else has, but the, you, you need like you need like level heads on on shoulders from from the like like I've had from the likes of Paul and Ryan to go. All that stuff's on the way, but let's just focus on right now and like how good is the song and how good is the performance and could it be better? It could always be better. So let's just keep working for that. And um, you can say that in passing, but to kind of ingrain that into somebody's psyche is. Uh, a difficult thing to do, but a vital, extremely important thing to do. What's advice you'd give to an up-and-coming writer and maybe even a British up-and-coming writer? A British up-and-coming writer? I'd say the same thing to a British up-and-coming writer that I would say to an American or up-and-coming writer or anybody from, from all over the world. Um, do, do as much listening as you can from all corners of music and the world. Listen, listen, listen. Soak up as much as you can. And, and you know, take as much of that into account when you are creating it as you can. Now, that sounds like a big ask, but what I really mean is keep a very open mind. Uh, anything, you know, anything could go anywhere. Um, and like you were saying uh, when you were talking about having a room full of writers for some sessions have as much fun with it as you can. Have as much fun with it as you can. Um, do it from the heart, you know? Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, there, when, when you were releasing new music and you were playing at SNL yeah. um, and, and you did Wild Love, I remember that being something that we were really excited, me and my wife, we're excited yeah. to see what, what the next music sure. would be. Sure. I can't name five artists that I cared to listen to see where they go. That means the world, man. So before we ever met, I was excited Thank you. to see your progress. I'm impressed with it so far. No, it's just starting. Thanks, man. Um it, it, we'll do this again after the next three albums and you come back, you're like, whoa. Well, we're in that now time. check this. Now check oh, this man. out, and it's gonna be no way. And we're actually gonna do this at Wembley. That's, every, <laughs> man, that's what we so. should do. That's what we should in in three albums. That's our that's our goal. Our we goal is it. to actually somehow do this. All right, we're gonna shake the middle on that right of now. Wembley, and just just so we can do it, even if it's like an update. We just need to do it. When next time you're playing, we'll I'm just down. be there and we'll go just to do 15 minutes and say this is crazy. But I'm proud of you, even though we're oh. just meeting. And uh, thank you again. And uh, excited to see what's next. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate right. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music, 
and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.